This is Strange Assembly, episode 236, The Sword and the Spirits. So guys, which one of us is the sword and who are the spirits? Uh, I'm Crane, so I'm the sword. You guys are the spirits because, I don't know, spiritual stuff. Kakita did write the sword, right? <laughs> yep. There you go. So Ooh, our, our I'm a spirit. Ooh. <laughs> so our, our perfection seeking <laughs> friend over there is Mike Cook. Hey. And our spiritual friend uh on, on the other side of the country is Jay Earl. Ooh. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your Legend of the Five Rings and Tabletop Gaming Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there or on iTunes or in the Google Play Music Store. Uh, you can also find us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. So today is a Legend of the Five Rings episode. We are going to be talking about three things. First, the new first, and, and first, not only, but first, uh, Legend of the Five Rings novella, The Sword and the Spirits by... Uh, spooky Robert Denton, and then we're going to revisit the restricted list and how that has gone, and finally talk about the smattering of previews that we've seen so far for the Elemental Cycle. I'll mention this now, and then maybe I'll delete it out if everything goes well. We've switched our recording method, so I apologize in advance if we have any hiccups in this, but hopefully this will... Uh, <laughs> It's awful. I try. Uh, oh, that's funny. That was you. I, I For some reason, that sounded like Mike, and I'm like, wow, that, that really seems like something Jay would have done. But okay, it was. Yeah, okay. it was. <laughs> I don't know why that sounded like a Mike hiccup or something. I don't know. Okay. So, well, I know, Jay, we were we were suggesting the possibility of you buying multiple copies. So why don't we let you take a crack at giving your thoughts on and the sword and the spirits and so what we are going to do here is right this is the book so i guess we're going to treat it as a as a book review with a story which means that we are going to we're not going to do a breakdown of it like we would with a a little fiction piece where we kind of assume you've already read it we're going to talk about it assuming that you haven't read it so more like we're like a book review right. sort of thing overview not, not spoiling no spoilers yeah so i'm gonna say i really really liked the book i mean not just because it was about the phoenix but that certainly helped <laughs> one of the things i do really appreciate and this the, i mean it was already evident from the fiction and the the some of the stuff the story team has been saying about the game but this just really showed that you know old 5r under ag had sort of Shugenja had sort of devolved into Japanese wizards where they're, you know, they're casting firebolt and magic missile. And Oh, by the way, they're technically priests, but whatever. Whereas this is very much, and it's front and center in, in, in the book because it is the Phoenix that no, these are priests. They are beseeching the Kami. They are asking for favors their magic is not is not in themselves. The magic is around them, and they are able to interact with it. 
So that's that's my first big thing that I loved about this book. The second thing is so Shiba Tsukimi is the main or Shiba Sukune is the main <laughs> character. And Spooky just did just such amazing an amazing job humanizing her and making her relatable and no spoilers, but she has a revelation, you know, as a good book is going to have. Your main character is going to have a revelation in the third act that helps them deal with the problems they've been dealing with. And that revelation she had really spoke to me. I, I really, yeah, I really liked it. So thank you, Spooky. You are, you are the best. Take that, John Wick. <laughs> I mean, I, I like John Wick stuff too. He 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 did some crazy nonsense. I've been going back and skimming some of the way ofs lately, and there is some crazy nonsense in there. Ooh, the way ofs are are good. I, I have a, I a f- f- funny story about another uh, Alpha Var fiction before this. But how about uh, before we wrap the segment? But how about uh, how about you, Mike? What were your impressions? I loved it as well. Like on basically every level. For how many pages it is, which I think is like 145. It is not that long. Yeah, the no. story itself is maybe 120. Uh, 122. In 123 pages, it felt like an entire novel. Like he really did not stand still at any part of this book, and it just it felt like a complete experience. It really didn't. Well, and that's actually a common theme amongst the novellas that I've read for them because I've read. A couple of the uh, Arkham ones as well. I've got all of those. I just haven't made it through all of them. Uh, they're all ex- exceptionally well written, and they all feel like actual, like full novels, which is kind of nice. Not only did I like the themes, I like the plot was great. The characters, the characterization was fantastic. All the characters felt really nice and fleshed out, which is probably basic character stuff. But you know, it can be easy to you know just skim through something like that. I I still I am so impressed by Robert's technical writing skill. He's one of the better technical writers I've read in quite a while. That just it's it's something that I pay a lot of attention to, and I just really like the way that he you know phrases things and and put, pulls them out. So yeah, I, like I just enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, I don't I don't think I noticed any clerical errors until page ninety seven. <laughs> Presumably, there's someone else who's right working as an editor. I also want to toss in while we're talking about the writing quality. If you know who Brandon Sanderson is, sort of this one released, I was in the middle of his novella collection. So I took a break from his novellas to read this and then went back to those. And there was no dip in quality. It was across the board from Sanderson to this and back. Okay. And have you gotten around to playing those Brandon Sanderson themed games you have yet now that you've kickstarted and? I mean, I've only received one of them because the Reckoners is, I think, shipping this week or next week. <laughs> and I've got a actual plan in a couple of weeks to actually have enough people to play the Mistborn game properly. So, Ooh. yeah. So, The Sword and the Spirits, it is a novella. Like Mike said, the, the novella itself is about 120 pages. There's then another, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 pages additionally in the back that are setting material essentially don't read that until you've read the story by the way you'll ruin everything 
Uh, <laughs> I guess <laughs> yeah. that I guess that like like that would normally be kind of obvious, I think, right? Like it's a book, you start at the front and work your way to the back, but it is it is like obviously set off differently, but definitely don't look at it until you've read the actual novella. All the novellas do that, and I accidentally spoiled myself on one of them doing exactly that. It was like one of the first pages. It was like it was basically just that a character survived, so it wasn't like the biggest spoiler, but I did technically spoil myself. Yeah. Okay. So you will ruin the entire story for yourself if you read the back first on this one, right. uh, yes. like the entire story. Uh, <laughs> it does come with promos, so if it, you know, because they do, they always include those. Fantasy Flight always includes those. So you get uh, a promo of an up upcoming card, I think, and a promo of an existing card. So yeah, it's Ofushiki and uh, Kaido Kaori, I think. Yep. Which I actually kind of wanted to play her because I really liked her in the story. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, that was that was another thing. Is it's is taking a character never heard of and making her now a favorite character. So it's it's not just Sukune and Tadaka who I'm like, oh, I like these characters already. It's taking an unknown and like, oh man, new favorite tied favorite character. Yeah, so the the story as as Jay mentioned, this the Shiba Sukune is the primary character for the story. Tadaka also features there's a a member of the the Kaito vassal family of the Asawa. This is set in the recent past essentially from where we are now in the short fictions because it is set before Tadaka does his duel with the former master of earth and so yeah you you really get this presentation of of not Shiba Sukune the clan champion but Shiba Sukune the 17 year old who's (laughs) thrust into the clan championship you know kind of terrified of screwing everything up yeah I mean, in some ways, obviously, right, there's a reason why the the sword chose her, but it, it is not what you often get in a clan champion presentation where they're kind of uber competent at everything and uber sure of themselves and... Well, that, that's kind of that's kind of true of, like, all the fictions, too, right? Which is part of what I've liked. Almost all of the clan champions have a lot of doubts about themselves. Which is just makes for more interesting fiction. Yeah, I, I mean, the only one I can think of that doesn't is uh, Shoju, and he's a jerk face, so nobody cares. <laughs> he he is supposed to be, like, relatively speaking, at the top of the world. Yeah. Power-wise in the the current setting. But I, I suspect, yeah, but he's he's not going to be the main character of the next novella, which we can talk about in a moment. So I also thought that this was was really good. It presents a nice fleshing out of information about a particular aspect of the setting. I mean, they do, we've talked about, like, the Kaido family, it, it involves Shiba Sukuni going off and having a, you know, events involving that that family. And I would disagree on the, like, it's interesting, Mike, you said that it was a, it feels more like a novel. I don't think it feels like a novel. It, it definitely is a, to me, it was definitely a novella-sized bit of thing. Like, if this was a novel, like the end of this novella may have been like the end of the first act of a novel because it, it does, it, it is, a, it is a complete story to be sure about this development of Shiva Tsukune, but it is an advancement 
of a little bit of background about Rokugan, and it is an advancement of the story of this character. It is not something where you're getting some big epic movement of the overall plot of the game world, which I feel is the sort of thing that you would drop down through a, a novel, I guess. Although you could, of course, write an entire novel and and, and have less plot than this, because they kid, kid you not, the, uh, the last, I don't know if, if you guys have read this, but the last old L5R thing that I had not read was Wind of War. And I recently picked it up at a uh, used bookstore. Was that the Sudao novel? No, Wind of War no. is the Kaneka novel. Ah, oh God, that one. Yes, <laughs> yes. So if if you ever ever see something about how like Wind of War is like the worst L5R novel, that is an understatement. My recollection is it's like the one of the worst retellings of Seven Samurai that I've read. <laughs> It was just bad on every level. Like I, it was one of those those books where I mean, if I read the whole thing anyway because it was L five R and I'm a sucker, but you just read the first chapter and you were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be bad. Yeah, every hackneyed trope of a thing. But but one of the other things that was that that like serves as a contrast for this is it 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 goes back to something that you said, Jay, is that. This book really feels like it's set in Rokugan. If you read Wind of War, you could have taken that story and put it in like medieval Europe and changed nothing. It was completely irrelevant that it was set in Rokugan. I mean, there was other terribleness about it, like, you know, the, the cackling <laughs> awful villains and all of that. But this, this really gives you an impression of Rokugan. I do think it is, I, I do think it is very well written. I do think that Spooky goes a little overboard in like sandwiching in Japanese terms. I don't know how much it really adds to like have to pause to explain what the word for a towel is or a particular kind of towel or like what a Yujimbo's gut instinct is. So that is a little much. I mean, and you it, you know it's the same kind of thing you see in his writing of the the normal weekly fictions. See, I, I actually kind of liked that because it was, I'm going to use the right term, but I'm going to do it in such a way that if you have no idea what I just said, now here's the explanation so you can pick it up. It usually. Yeah. But st still, I, I mean, I don't know. That's just my, I mean, I like the use of the actual terms and what I'm, I, I couldn't personally verify this, but what I'm presuming is you know, authentic writing. I mean, like, I, I say authentic, by which I mean authentically Japanese, because there is no such thing as authentically Rokugani. <laughs> uh, and, but, right, I mean, most of it is, of of the, the cultural stuff, is heavily based on, on Japan, or imports, you know, with, with select segments from other, you know, cultures in that area of the, the world. But I, I will say that I could be wrong, but I think that by the time you're done, it's it's hard not to read this. As I think it's fair to say that Spooky has an opinion about global warming. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that I, I I just have that in the back of your head. Like when you, I don't think you, I don't know if you, you need it back in that. When you get you get through the end of the book, you'll you'll think you'll agree with me. I believe that Spooky has an opinion on global warming. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, mm? I can't really talk about why without spoiling it, but there's definitely a theme in there. I don't. That that, that doesn't feel mm. like it's outside of an actual theme that you would expect in that world. It's not like pervasive. It's you just get to a certain point in the book, and you're like, okay. I mean, this isn't like Ayn Rand level of like I'm going to take my entire book and use it to hit you over the head with my point. No, yeah. See, it's it's more to me that what you're talking about is sort of at one level what the Phoenix are dealing with as there's the Phoenix Clan story arc that we've been presented. So now I'm imagining Al Gore as uh, a member of the Phoenix Clan. (laughs) There you go. I'm not sure I have anything else to to toss in within the realm of of non-spoilersness, but it's it's definitely extremely good. You should definitely go get it. You, you we were joking last week about Jay buying two, but you know you you do get a full set of the promos, so there's there's no actual reason to to go get two other than to I, I'd say shuffle money at Spooky, but I I think that would probably be a very <laughs> indirect benefit at whatever contract they have worked out with Fantasy Flight. More like, oh, hey, your novel sold. We'll have you do this again. We'll have you do another one. Yes, your novella. And yeah, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe if the L5R novellas sell well enough, they would actually go back to doing novel, like actual novels. Although, I don't think they will because the novella sells for like twice as much as a novel would. <laughs> That's a mass market <laughs> paperback. But no, right? It. I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it's, it's funny because it's true. They're really nice, and the color in the back is really nice, but yeah, they are like, okay. It, it, is, a, it is a high-quality hardcover, but it is... You're paying a premium for this for, I guess, supporting your game, like, for it being a gaming-related thing, right? This is not a... They look good on a shelf. Like, they're very nicely bound. They do. Robert, yes, Robert Denton Third. Yeah, I, I just don't imagine, you know, mass market paperback is probably not the price point you want to compare to because I can't imagine they're printing anywhere near that level of scale of these. The reason I reference that is because when they were doing novels, that's wow. what they were. I mean, they they right. did a series of, there were, I, I wrote a review, there were eight, they did eight Arkham Horror Files novels, two trilogies and two standalones. They've done. They, there were some Android setting novels. Like, I, I want to say five Android novels. I think there was like a trilogy and two standalones. Yeah, and then something, some novels in some other IP that they had that I don't remember what it is. So. Oh, I think that was separate. I don't think that was one of their IPs. Oh, it wasn't okay. But I mean, they 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 had some other sort of novel thing, which obviously did not stick within my. But yeah, this is like like you mentioned, Mike, they've done this with Arkham Horror, and I don't know if they're going to... I would... I don't know what they're going to do with, with Android now, because part of the... Right, part of the way that they, they sell these just from a marketing perspective is including the promo cards, and they can't do that anymore with Android. Oopsie! Yeah, well, but I mean, you have to remember, they just created a new... Uh, 
I don't know if it's a wing of Fantasy uh, Flight or if it's a new wing of Asmodee that's uh, it's like Asmodee Media, uh, Media or whatever that specifically, well, they didn't exactly say, it was just like handling RP, our IPs for like multimedia stuff. So one assumes that books and things like this would probably get handled through that company. They, they could, but I think that, I guess I took that as more of a, you know, digital kind of platform. I mean, I think it's also outreach to like film companies or, or, or uh, yeah, like I'm 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 sure Fantasy Flight would be quite happy to license Android for a movie should someone want to make it. Well, Netflix. Right. Series, what I'm saying, like, like if they were if they were to publish a novels again, I'm sure what they would want to do is establish a partnership with a publisher because they probably don't want to make buy enough stuff to actually publish books themselves. I'm sure. So I would think that that branch would then probably contact a publisher establish that relationship and do uh, that I mean, there's probably way too many details for like whatever i i hope we get l5 art novels again i'll say that much. uh android novels too i'd probably read just no more winds of war right but we are getting more i mean set aside novels we are they have announced that there's going to be another l5r novella uh it's going to be coming out i is that coming out in october as well because they announced they they announced that the next clan pack was the scorpion and that the next novella was the scorpion. I believe the primary response to the former was, "Oh God, seriously, the scorpion are the ones who get another <laughs> In, inflection of cards." Yeah, but then we get a scorpion novella. So I I that would be cool if they sort of followed that model. Like, here's the clan pack. Here's the here's the novella. I mean, it's going to take us. You know, the game will be four years old by the time everyone has gotten a clan pack at that point, but what you going to do? My guess is, I don't know, maybe this is just me, I think they're, they've been experimenting enough with uh, the format of how they're releasing things. We may see that just generally shake, shaking up anyways. You could. I mean, and they, and they, they talked about that. They had a, when they, as, we, as, as I, I mentioned a moment ago, like Android Netrunner is, is it's not dead yet, but like this is it. It like they've released their last set. This fall is their last world championships. Oh no, they have one more set that's coming out. I thought there's a deluxe box that is up, like is about to come out, right? And that's it. Right. Yeah. Like Requiem and Reverie or something like that. It's so Android Fantasy Flight owns the Android IP, but the game Netrunner was originally published by Wizards of the Coast and Netrunner was used by Fantasy Flight under a license from Wizards of the Coast. That license is expiring. They did not, it has, that license has not been renewed. We have no idea, you know, who, like, why it's not, I mean, I mean, I suppose the most basic thing would be, you know, Wizards wanted more money than Fantasy Flight was willing to pay. <laughs> you know, but w w exactly what it was, I you know, with that money much more or much less than than what it was last time, no idea. Well, I mean, and also they actually have the Cyberpunk license still, and Cyberpunk is going to have a, like, they just showed it in yeah. 3, 2077, uh, 2070 is coming out pretty soon, so they may want to do something with the actual game itself. That doesn't okay. seem like something well, Wizards also... of the Coast would do, unfortunately. Well, but they have. They, well, no, they have a whole new digital, so it might not be a card game. It might be like a digital game. As well. Oh, they could do a digital thing, yeah, because they're. I mean, because Wizards of the Coast is as as part of a 
even in these days when you know Asmodee is a behemoth within the gaming world and is pretty big just as a general company it's not the same I, I don't think it's the same kind of you know corporate as you know Hasbro and it's certainly not as big uh, well, no, as something but, like that but Asmodee is part of a French conglomerate, which I think is about the same size as the conglomerate Hasbro's a part. Well, they're actually trying to sell Asmodee now. Right. Well, the, the, there was there was talks about that, but I mean, yeah. it may also just have been it may have been way above the pay grades of anybody involved in these companies. Well, right? well yeah, but there there just doesn't seem to be a it like fantasy fly. Okay, wh whatever they whatever the ultimate corporate ownership is my impression is and i could be wrong right they, that fantasy flight still right it it still feels like a game company it is it is vastly larger than most game companies it is much more structured than most game companies way way more structured but they're willing to kind of like just release one shot narrow products and 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 what what i feel like happens with with Wizards of the Coast is that there is a focus on margins. And so they are not going to continue to make a game that does not have a high margin. Like this is, they are not a company that's going to be like, oh, well, this game line is barely profitable and, and we're here for the love of games. So we'll, well like as long as it, it's making some money, you know, we'll keep on doing it, and 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 we're having fun making it. We'll keep on doing it. Like they're not gonna do that. Like they would. I, I don't. I don't think I could. You know, again, I'm not in either of them, and maybe I'm misreading Watsy, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe Fantasy Flight and and Asmodee are more in that direction than than they used to be. But right, like I don't. Wizards of the Coast would never make the Baron Munchausen RPG. Which I'm I'm reminded of because it got nominated from Fantasy Flight because it got nominated for an Origins Award. I don't think right. Wizards of the Coast would ever make something like that. No, because there's no way that it's going to be an ongoing money making project. Well, it's... I, I think if nothing else, I think Watsi is much more directly reporting to Hasbro than Fantasy Flight is. So that my impression is that Fantasy Flight operates fairly independently. Because even they have like Fantasy Flight Interactive, which is making Lord of the Rings card game, right? And it's pretty clear from whenever you hear any of them communicate or talk, like those are not like that's not like a subsidiary of FE, uh, uh, of uh, Fantasy Flight. They are like separate companies that that are just part of Asmodee. Same thing with like Plat Hat. They may have some, you know, they may talk to each other, but they're not actually like it's not getting folded into Fantasy Flight from everything that we've seen. So yeah, well, but I, I think, but I do think that Watchy's looking for digital because they want to compete against Hasbro. So I think if they did anything with it, it would be there. Not saying that they are, because they could have just said, "Hey, you know what? We want double this because we saw this is successful." Fantasy Flight looked at the margin, said, "We can't do that," and then just said, "Okay, well, we have to." Keep yeah, you mentioned the 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 Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven video game that's coming out, and yeah, I actually thought about that when we were, when we were talking about Netrunner and like, oh, what would like the 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 you know Fantasy Flight Interactive, like what like oh yeah a, a video game like that with instead of the Android universe that certainly there's a there would be a lot of thematic overlap between Cyberpunk and Android. Yes.
So we mentioned the Scorpion pack coming out, and that sort of segs into the the restricted list, uh, which I you know I wanted to revisit. I so we've had two and a half Cote at this point since the restricted list. We are recording on June fourteenth, so we've had I think that we've had the the grand I think it was a grand Cote at the UK Games Expo maybe uh, in Birmingham. There was a, a normal old Cote in, I think, in Melbourne, and they're halfway through the Cote that's at Origins. So we've had like a crab, I think we've had a scorpion win, a crab win, and then there was a, uh, I think, dragon, and then either scorpion or crab were the two people who made the cut based on strength of schedule rather than being challengers, I, I believe, at the, the Origins Cote. And and the reason I had, had wanted to to revisit this is because there were there were sort of two components, it seems to me, of the the restricted list. One of them was just an element of, especially seen with policy debate, but also with charge of like here are cards that are just like kind of too omnipresent, and we want the environment to have some more diversity. And people are getting you know it's like you you get sick of playing against them. Uh, but then there was, as I perceive it, like this element of also attempting to balance, right? Like the two, the, the two primary targets, if anything, seemed to be Scorpion and Crab. And then also Phoenix got swept up in that. And then you had the, oh, and then we realized we also needed to do something to Dragon. So we hit Dragon. And I remember from, from back in the day with the CCG, one of the things I always said about you know banning and restrictions and errata is that once you make the decision to 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 pull the trigger on something like that the absolute last thing that you want is to issue bans and errata or whatever to whack a dominant deck and then have it still just keep on winning so I, I was then reminded of that when you had the top two decks, Scorpion and Crab, who had won every single Cote before the restricted list, immediately turn around and win the two Cote after the restricted list. And by my own reasoning, does that basically mean that it, in some, like based on this limited sample size, I guess, did the restricted list misfire? Did, did they need to do something different? Did they need to actually really hit Scorpion and Crab harder? Was it a mistake to also go after Dragon and Phoenix? What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, I think it's way too early to tell. I, I, I mean, two coaches, I mean, it, there's a fair amount of play, but I think... Like two coat taste just doesn't seem like it's going to be enough time for you to experiment with your decks and see if there's something else. The the main because th- I have not had a chance to play a whole lot, but the main thing that I've heard I've seen on the L5R Facebook group is that a lot of people are saying, yeah, it didn't really hit, it didn't really hit power level that much, but it did actually make it a lot more it, a lot more pleasant to play. It, like it got rid of a lot of the stuff that was not fun to play against. Which which can be very important. Yes, and I... But, I guess, do you agree with my read on the purpose of the... The thing of design, because I, mean, I, I know what you're talking about, right? The, the whole, like, yes, policy debate is, 
much less prevalent, for example. Charge is much less prevalent. But it, I guess it, it for me, it was hard to, like, I, I read their intent as also being a power level thing, because if it's a power level thing, then why are you, I mean, like, I, I think most notably when you, when you get to Dragon and you're like, oh, well, having a rat of those, we realized that we also needed, we then needed to do something about the Dragon deck. And maybe, maybe I focus on that because I'm a, you know, primarily a Dragon Clan player, but like that to me really reads as we're trying to balance and after we've hit these other two, we realize that that this clan is now going to be too far above, so it needs to be preemptively knocked down. I think there's a couple things there. Number one, it's really hard to know intent because you don't know exactly what's going on with everything, right? They've got a lot more knowledge than we have about this next cycle that's coming up and about the next pack that's coming out. It may be that uh, there's enough boosts to other clans they didn't want to like straight nerf or do harder nerfs on the top decks, then have the cycle come out where uh, uh, probably they're getting alternative paths rather than straight upgrade paths, uh, and then have everybody else get all their upgrades, and all of a sudden, like you know, the scorpion just fall down and they're in the position of you know where the unicorn were. And, and I say this because this is kind of what happened to Lannister in Game of Thrones, because I was I was a Lannister player, and yeah, they were outsized, like, they were very strong at the beginning of the game. They weren't as dominant in the, if I remember right, they weren't quite as dominant in the tournament winnings, nor near as dominant in the tournament winnings as Scorpion have been, and Crab have been, but th when they if they got the first, uh, first big box, second big box, I think they got the second big box, kind of like Scorpion's getting this second big box, and what they did is they designed a whole bunch of alternate paths, right? Okay, we're not going to give you more straight power. We're going to give you other things to try and play with. But they did that for so long that, like, uh, they never really lost their edge. But they definitely, you know, sunk quite a bit from where they were. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they, you know, they, they don't want to make Scorpion unplayable just because it's the top, right? Well, you absolutely don't want to make them unplayable. I, I would never suggest well, that they should try to make someone unplayable. Well, I mean, it's, so it's a little bit harder. I mean, actually, I would say it's a lot harder than it would be even in Magic. Because in Magic, right, you're hitting a card. People like that card. People are invested in that card. People hate that card. Whatever. There, it's not like there's no investment. But it's not the same as, hey, my clan identity just got, like, uh, my I can't play my clan right now. Or whatever. Yes, it is. Balance can be more of an issue in L5R because... People are are faction. I mean, like people in this in Magic, people generally will want there to be a variety of decks, and maybe you have a sort of deck you have a preference for, you know, some kind of play style. But you don't. There are very few people, in my experience in Magic, who are like, I love green, and I'm f like, I'm furious and ranting on the internets if green isn't you know, a, a strong tournament color. <laughs> right. They, they would, like, prefer that there was a good green deck, but if there's not, they're going to play what they like in what's available. Or they'll try and make green work and just be happy with what they get, depending on you know, what their goals are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so... I, I mean, but that, that kind of cuts both ways, right? You... If you are making L5R, you're... That is just a hurdle that you have to deal with. It is your players can be very sensitive, perhaps overly sensitive to faction balance things that, you know, and, but, and, and so you're right that you absolutely don't want to take a, a faction and have them end up being, uh, 
unplayable or or really bad unicorn but you also don't want to have one faction that is overly good either and it, it just seemed like they had made the i mean they it seemed like they had made the call that that scorpion was a, a thing like that and and we'll see and it's only two but right it's not like there are that many cote generally i i guess we'll see we did have well i mean because we, we did have if they're it's weird with the smaller ones, whether because because there's so many challengers, you it's very hard to make the cut, relatively speaking, without being the challenger at one of these small ones. So, like we we did actually have a non crab or scorpion, I, I think finished top after Swiss. We had dragon finished top after Swiss at Origins, which you know kind of contrasted. I think if at the Birmingham Cote, I think the top eight was a crane, and then crab and scorpion for the other seven decks. That was right. like that. That was the first one. I was kind of like, Ugh. that's not what I want to see. If I'm if I'm restricting cards, that's not what I want to see at that at like the big huge tournament that immediately follows. And that was a big tournament. Yeah, but I I, I do think like there definitely is a lot of clan following. You know, a lot of clan loyalty in this game. It's a big thing. But I mean, there's always been a little bit, at least some deck switching of to what people perceive as the strongest deck. And and it a big thing like a Kote, I, I imagine you probably got more of that. You can absolutely see that if you if you track historically, if you track attendance numbers, there is some real stickiness with L5R clans. But it it's absolutely the case that when a clan is stronger or at least perceived as stronger, it gets played more. And there's an argument to be made that differences in clan power level can be amplified because if you have one clan that has a noticeable and and distinct but not huge advantage that you know people who are seriously trying to win the tournament and are likely to be better players are more likely to jump ship to to that and so then there the fact that you have a more highly skilled group of players going to the the bandwagon deck as it were can then amplify it now that's uh, that's an argument right we don't have any kind of data on exactly how that Right. Works out because you, I mean, you also have like in old L5R, right? You also had people who were highly skilled players and who would just play the same work. clan no matter what. And, and so, like, one of the re one of the reasons why you would have poorly performing clans not get completely blown out was because there were like player X is just going to make the cut, <laughs> right. Right, and so there's always like Greg Wong is always going to make the cut, so there's always going to be a dragon cut deck and kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I was actually going to cut myself by saying that because usually, even in uh, in Thrones, you saw that as well. Like that, you would say, "Oh, everybody thought uh, the initial tournament. Everybody thought that that latest uh, God, what is her name? Uh, Martells were the weakest, and they ended up winning the tournament." Because people just didn't know how to pilot the deck. It, it just had a deck that people hadn't seen. And you would think that, that if that was the case, the cards have been out long enough now that people would be doing that. You know, they, like you, your topic would be more diverse than it, than it is. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any... You, you've been quiet over there for some, some time now, Jay. Yeah, I didn't really have anything interesting to add. I agree with you guys. I mean, the one thing I would point out is there's a there is the question. So they powered down one thing that Scorpion and Crab are doing. 
are they still doing that same thing, or are these new scorpion and crab things going on? I don't think there's any new card, so I'm pretty sure it's just they've just adjusted and taken a card out that they. I think I think both both decks really did have to adapt in in, in that right the crab lost their charge package, so they lost a way of getting in a big guy cheap, and then they lost if they were bringing in lion, they lost a way of one of their ways of keeping people around that were brought in, like either a big guy or somebody who was bought in for free or or, or whatever. So there's been some adjustment there. Scorpion, I I'm not sure. I haven't seen enough, but I. The, the scorpion, you change your splash. You lose policy debates, and so that. But that's an, like I said, that's an adjustment that you know everyone's having to make. Although I think at the Birmingham Cote of the Dragon decks that did well, despite my discussion of I would play Miramoto's Fury over Charge. I think three out of the five Dragon decks that did reasonably well at the at Birmingham were playing with policy debate instead of either of those. But the the scorpion. Their cancel's too good, so they're going to take out Miramoto's Fury, and that means, I think that generally means losing the Dragon Splash. I think Crane, was that one of the popular ones that they had switched to, was a Crane Splash? Mm-hmm. But I think that the core, I think that the core of the deck is the same, is largely the same, which it kind of has to be. Like, you don't really have a terrible lot of options right? for a lot of these things. The, you know, the restrictions are are primarily coming from the the conflict deck, and you do have substantially more options there than you have on the dynasty deck, but 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 yeah, it's the same kind of thing. A lot of uh, what I think a lot of people have expressed about this is that the thing that or the thing or one of the things, or you know, depending on how strong you you think this reasoning is, that makes the scorpion and the crab really good is that they can make decks that can either take your provinces or dishonor you out and so they're like they that that they get to put you on the ability where you have to like fight against both of those at the same time like watch commander right is a big epitome of that right like okay i'm attacking your province with my watch commander are you going to fight about it and lose a bunch of honor or are you not going to fight about it and lose your province you know Whereas if you're like, right, I mean, you've talked about the way you were trying, that you were doing, if I understand correctly, you were doing Phoenix Dishonor sort of things, Jay. Like, that was a very passive deck. You're not having the same level of dual threat pressure. Although, I I do get a little concerned, like, a little wonder sometimes. People talk about, like, oh, like with the new Scorpion, they'll be like, oh, well, this is is like a military deck that takes provinces. And I want to be like, you can take provinces with political guys. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. this isn't old L5R where it's like honor or like your political people can crack provinces just as well as, I mean, there's, I mean, there are changes in the nature of the cards that they get that modify that. But like a guy with four political takes a province just as well as a guy with four military. I mean, yeah, real, realistically, my experience has been the difference between my crack provinces deck and my dishonor deck is the Crack Provinces deck is trying to crack the provinces, and the rings are a secondary benefit. The the Dishonor deck is desperately trying to hit air and earth and fire over and over and over again. And if I crack a province, great. If I don't, whatever. But it's getting that ring that I care about. Yeah. 
but we do have like um right you you talked about upcoming things mike uh and we do have the scorpion pack upcoming but before that we have the elemental cycle and uh i guess there's two two broad things to note about the elemental cycle like so first this is the first product that they had any ability to change what it was having seen how things played after the launch of the game right obviously the imperial cycle was completely locked well before the game ever came out but if i'm not mistaken the phoenix clan pack was done before the game came out as well and so the the big thing about that is that this is the first time that they've had the chance to try to give unicorn a pick me up oh and the other thing i mentioned this kind of one of the reasons I, we got distracted talking about wizards of the coast but because of the announcement about the end of Netrunner, they also posted an article about like the state of the LCG. And one of the things that they talked about in that, like like you were mentioning, Mike, was trying new things. And they talked about the six for six. And they talked about wanting to make it like, oh, well, if we make it six packs in six weeks, that makes it more of an event when something comes out. Although I... I don't think that anything they said in that article changed my position that I'd rather have it more. I'd rather have it either more spread out or just released, literally just like charge me $90 for the whole cycle all at once. And yes. I, I mean, I, I, I get that they're not going to do that because part of the point of the LCG is to be like, it's only $15 at a crack. It's only $15. It's not expensive, even though it would be exactly the same amount to just release the full six packs worth of stuff at once at a $90 price point. I mean, I'm assuming for marketing and and business model purposes, that's never going to happen. I would like it to change just because... So that that's... We're in a small enough card pool right now that actually any pack is going to make a difference, typically. But once it gets big enough, then what they're saying is correct. You know, it's like, okay, this pack came out, maybe this one card, unless it's crazy, it's just not going to do that much. Maybe I caught, I put in one copy in place of this other card I was running three of. I'm like, ah, well, one of this is better than the third copy of this. But, I mean, I just generally, for LCGs, I think, me personally, I pref- I would prefer it if it were in bigger chunks, generally. But they could still come out, like, bi-monthly or quarterly or whatever. Like, if they put out a big box every quarter, I'd be good with that. That feels like a good infusion of product. Yes, it's not as exciting as, like, I don't know, like a Magic. You're not putting in as many cards as, like, a Magic. But I don't think most players are actually playing it as much as they are. I mean, I, I don't know. Everybody's different. But my opinion, or from what I've seen from everybody who plays LCGs, everybody plays them just, a you know, quite a bit more once a week or, you know, just as I have time. You know, it, nobody's really chasing anything with LCGs. It's just one of the hobbies that you do for fun. So... Well, I mean, there are, there clearly are people who are on a particular LCG in a very competitive repeat play sort sure. of way. You can probably recognize them from you know them being amongst the people who are making the cuts consistently <laughs> at tournaments. Uh, right, but that's like that same 100, 150 people, and that's still a minority of who you're probably selling this product to. Yeah, the the number that people often bandy about was them was FFG suggesting that like 90% of their like it's like you know I don't know ninety percent of the netrunner people were casual or ninety percent of some high percentage of people they would expect to sell the core box for and then never sell anything else for now I don't think that's the case for L five R because a single L five R core box is not 
playable in the same way that an elf, that a single netrunner core box was. But right. but yeah, there's there's always the selling things to people who are not turning around and using it constantly in tournaments. But it, for those people that like it might matter less because if you're not playing on a constant basis, you're not updating your deck on a constant basis anyway. So if you show up and there's four packs, I mean, if you show up and there's four packs there instead of there being two new packs there, and like when exactly you get them doesn't matter that much. I don't, I don't know how much that affects them or not. I don't know. Well, I mean, I imagine it affects stores and reorders, right? Because your plan might be, well, I want to play L5R, and then you get life happens, right? Like, uh, your your kids are involved in soccer for a couple months, so you're not able to get to the game store very frequently. And then you're, you know, end of the third month, you're like, okay, or fourth month, you're like, okay, I'm going to go in, catch up, all this stuff. But what happens, you know, what might happen to the game store is they order the first two cycles, and they sell, like, one of each. And then, like, well... You know, maybe I'll find a way to order one copy for the people who are playing it, but you know they're not going to order that, and then it becomes harder to actually catch back up. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but so we have the elemental cycle. We've started to getting previews, and the previews that we've gotten so far are spread out across all six packs, including the final two packs, which will not be legal at Gen Con. So let's go ahead for now, and of the, I just wanted to. Maybe talk about a few of the packs that we've seen, but maybe not the. Uh, I don't know if we want to. I don't know how much we want to talk about the the two packs that aren't even going to be able to Gen Con because that's that's so far ahead. But but the first pack, Breath of the Kami. This is like the air pack, basically. That's the one we've seen the most out of, and that's the one that includes the Lion Stronghold. I guess strongholds. Always likely to be a uh, an impactful card. I guess something's something's gone wrong with the design of the card if it just doesn't have it. If it like has no real impact because it can completely change a deck. <laughs> yeah, or make it make an entirely new deck. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And so they have like Hisu Mori Toriday. I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, aren't I? It's a military focus lion stronghold. Shock, shock. After you win a military conflict by five or more. So that could be defense, or it could be you breaking a province. You bow the stronghold and sacrifice a, a Bushi character, and it lets you declare an additional military conflict this phase. So, I mean, the first thing is that, like, bow, so bowing the stronghold is not a cost, it just means that it's one per turn. And sacrificing a Bushi character is entirely likely to not be a cost either, because right. you just want a military conflict, so you have some chud who has no fate on them and is bowed. And you just eat them. Or even if they're not a chud, if you don't have a way of unbowing them, you might as well eat them if they have no fate. Yeah, I mean, they could be the best character in the world, and they won this battle for you, and now they're going to fade out at the end of the turn. So, I mean, this basically is going to let you do more military instead of having military plus political, which is, they are pretty bad at political. It leans swarmy, of course, because having lots of guys that don't you don't put a lot of fate on makes it super constant that you're going to have somebody who's appropriate to sacrifice for this. Yeah. I like it in that at least at first blush it doesn't it it seems okay something different doesn't seem particularly bad doesn't seem great. So that's really the sweet spot. I mean like cards are more exciting when they're really powerful, but from a play perspective I 
a, a more even power level, I think, would be ideal, where you have lots of options that are all all of reasonably reasonable even power level. Did you guys have any thoughts on the the lion box? It looks really cool. It's very liony. <laughs> it is very liony. So the one thing I I I'm pretty sure I know how this works, but I would really love a clarification. Does this give you three conflicts a turn, or does this give you two military conflicts a turn? I believe the current understanding is it just it gives you three conflicts. Right. I agree. It's just I would really like to have a rule that I can point at when my opponent disagrees, and I can say, here is the official ruling. When I saw it referenced, they pulled up the rules reference where it had to break down by turns. And one of them was, you may declare a political or military conflict. So it's not just two conflicts and you decide which type it is. You literally have a political and a military. So this is giving you another military. Although, right. until Don't someone... Me, thank you. Yeah, uh, I think that's the most sound we're going to have until they actually come out and say it. Which, I, hopefully, they will. Are you looking this up now, Chris? I'm looking at it, although yeah, I don't think that there's really anything to... As much as I like FFG, a lot of times their rulings have been very counterintuitive to me. So, yeah, that's my reading of the card as well. That it gives you up to three conflicts because the way that the game framework is phrased is each player starts with one opportunity for a political conflict, one opportunity for a military conflict, and then. When your turn comes up, you get to either declare a military, declare a medical, or declare a political, or pass. So this would essentially say you now have two opportunities to declare a military and one opportunity to declare a political. And then the end of the conflict phase is if no player has a conflict opportunity remaining when this step is reached, then you advance. You know, then you go ahead to three point four, which is determine imperial favor right so i i read it as as giving you three or you know or at least three three chances uh so breath of the kami we have seen two crane cards out of this so far as well uh you're our resident crane player so what are your thoughts on the the fusui disciple and the mirror's gaze they are very crane and i like them a lot <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much it. I think the Fu uh, Fu Sui is the the disciple is I don't know. I guess maybe deceptively strong. You are paying three for a one two, but if you can honor him, he's a he's a three four, and obviously that's kind of what he does. Yes, he he can indeed honor himself under the appropriate circumstances. And I mean, and just Craner gonna have a million ways to honor somebody, anyways. And in fact, there's a new one coming in out in one of the packs we're going over. He's another Shugenja, too. It's a, a really good thing for us. Yeah, when the, the funny thing is I, I note things like like little technical things like they he you choose an order. So this one is the player who has the who has the air ring, which might be you, might be your opponent. Of course, you wouldn't use the ability if it's nobody. In their claimed pool, chooses an ordinary character he or she controls. And then you decide whether or not to honor or dishonor that character. So if you have the air ring, it's honor whichever one of your characters you want. If your opponent has the air ring, it's dishonor 
their character of their choice. But have we seen before on a card them referring to an ordinary character? As in not honored or dishonored? No, I believe this is the first time they have done that. Yeah, well, I, I think that was a terminology that came with after up with after the uh, initial release. Yeah, so, he, I mean, he he honors and dishonors, but it, I, I guess that that one stands out to me less because Crane already does that a lot, but and now I, I know it's a two-cost attachment, so, you know, grain of salt on everything with attachments that cost real money, but the mirrors, that is an impressive effect, and it, it can be an intimidating effect as well, if it, like, makes your opponent just completely scared about playing cards. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of like it feels like it could be good, and it's something that you're going to have to constantly reevaluate, most likely. But at the same point, there's probably a lot of things that they can do that this is not going to be a, an effective copier. Like there's a there's a lot of really good actions that require like a specific clan character. Just looking like if you play Hurricane Punch, that does nothing for me. I I can't do anything with that. It does nothing. Yeah, and and if your opponent, until your opponent plays an event, you've paid two for an attachment that does nothing, actually. Right, and and it's going to go away with whatever character it's attached to. And it's two for one... one oh yeah, and it only attaches to Shugenja, so you can't just like load it up on your you know, clan champion or guest of honor or somebody you wanted to stay around for ages anyway. Oh, right, and, and we're not... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say, we're not Phoenix, but the Phoenix's box, the new Phoenix box is specifically events, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. So even they kind of use it. I mean, we can, just not six times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've been we've been like mostly looking at the first pack, but it might be helpful to like since by the time Gen Con rolls around, these are all gonna be out here. And it's and they roll out pretty quickly anyway, so there's also, you have to wait until the ebb and flow, the fourth pack, the water pack. Funnily, it's the water pack, but it's an air roll only card, right? You have Soul Beyond Reproach. Choose a character you control, honor that character, then honor it again. And this is actually your role, so... <laughs> yep, hopefully it'll be, still, it'll be the case. There's a lot of cards that are locked on a particular element. So there's definitely more of a of a possibility of getting various sets of cards where what exactly your card options are are really going to start to fluctuate depending on what gets you know what what your clan's one option is that year or the the bonus option that gets unlocked for worlds or so first is is soul beyond reproach worth using unless your character is dishonored um yeah I mean depending on the situation yeah. I think there are times where you're just going to want to honor your character, and while I'd rather pay zero for that, paying one for it isn't necessarily bad. I mean, it depends on your deck, right? It depends on your average it depends on your average glory because you know this is essentially the same thing as like a, a two power boost a lot of times. Yeah, like it's a pay one, get a permanent ish two two, essentially. If nothing else, I guess it was just that Crane feels like they have so many ways to honor already that often don't cost any additional fate. I if it, it feels like this tilts because instead of having to like blow two cards doing this or a ring and a card, 
you just do it once and it's kind of out of nowhere and that's a big swing of like four power I, I know your question if you have a character who is already dishonored and this is and you get the double tap with this and they go from dishonor to ordinary and then ordinary to honored that could be a lot of force that's why i was asking like if you're not doing that does this end up being worth it or do you just have do you have enough dishonored characters that okay that's that's still worth going for i think it's gonna be meta but i mean everybody has access to the ring of fire right so there's always the chance you're gonna get dishonored versus like crab who doesn't care about getting honored to dishonored uh, you know, that that helps them slow you down. So the, even without meta, as far as like what people are putting in their decks or seeing a certain type of clan, like there's always going to be some relevance to this. Like depending on how much people even bother trying to do that, I, I think this ends up being probably a pretty meta card unless your deck yourself, you're using, you're paying your honorable status to do things. It could let you adjust your play a little bit. If like once you have this, like like for example, Let's say you have a Taru out, right? Now, you really want her to be honored, and you really don't want her to be dishonored. So battling over who's going to win the Ring of Fire might become really important normally because you, you desperately don't want to let your opponent be able to, to dishonor her. Well, if you know that you have Soul Beyond Reproach in your hand, now you might not use your honor effect to preemptively honor her. Or you might not fight quite as much about the Ring of Fire because you know you're going to be able to come back in and, and create this huge swing by letting your opponent, like your opponent thinks they're like, oh, that's right, I got Hataru Dishonored, she's not that good now. And then just uh, crushing so like that. At that point, what's, what's the swing on that? <laughs> when, you, when you double honor her, like that's a six point, I go from a three to a nine. Yeah. I think this takes a meta slot unless you're building a deck that specifically uh, has a lot of honor-paying requirements. We talked earlier, like, Unicorn, obviously they've been the bad clan, as it were, and we've already seen a plethora of Unicorn previews out of this. Shinjo Shono, very popular old 5R character. You've got the Shiatome encampment, that's uh, Shiatomi are the Battle Maidens. Those both appear in the first air pack. The Fires Within has uh, Sneaky Shinjo and Invocation of Ash. Invocation of Ash. And then the Water One, Ebb and Flow, has Master of the Swift Waves and Force of the River. So, I mean, we've seen, I guess, by in general, everybody's going to get two cards per pack. Uh, we've just seen a lot of the the unicorns already. Which of these do you think will be in a will more notably help unicorn, or or which ones do you think are still not going to help them? I guess. I mean, the encampment looks pretty good. I don't know how much room you have for holdings in unicorn, but being able to re- potentially being able to ready a character is always a strong effect. Yeah, I would say Shono and the uh, Encampment both really decent. And that sneaky little Shinjo is getting a tempo boost, letting you pass to get that fate, but still getting a warm body out. So, yeah. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, obviously he's too small to ever be some sort of big swingy thing, but I do like the sneaky Shinjo. 
a very small little card, but I actually do really like the the sneaky Shinjo. Yeah, he's he's great because he gives you either like uh, well, she it gives you either like a free defense, or maybe she just helps you take the favor, or there's a whole bunch of little things she can do. They have a bunch of interesting sorts of things. I, I don't force of the river. That's a spell that brings all your face down cards from your provinces into play as like a swarm of little spirit horse dudes that are like one military and and no political. If you're set up, there's a lot of there's possibly a lot of cutesy things you can do with that. Yeah, I mean that works nicely nicely with Shono since he wants you to be swarming and that help gives you a nice swarm. Those two together is probably your stronghold breaker if you can pull it off. For him to trigger, you have to have more characters than your opponent, and then it gives you plus one each. So really doubles up on the you want to have lots more than your opponent in this one. Yeah, I'm not sure what to think about Invocation of Ash. So far, that's a lot of honor and fate to lose to, to move that thing around. I'm not initially excited, but I, it, it does let you pop the plus two, plus two, wherever you need it. Yeah, I mean, even if you ignore the action, it's still one for a plus two, plus two. Oh, that doesn't excite me. I mean, it doesn't excite, but it's not bad either. You could just do this once and it feels like it's worth it, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess every time you activate it, you're losing a fate if that character has fate on them. But so, I mean, I guess you could play it on a character and then move it to a character who has no fate. Then you're going to lose the Invocation of Ash, right? If you want to try to keep it around for a long term. But it has a lot of flexibility. And certainly Master of the Swift Waves has a lot of flexibility. I I think two plus two plus twos, or, or plus two plus two in two different combats is probably worth that effect for that cost, especially if you put it on somebody who is blank. Or, like, say you drop a character out of your hand and then move it over to them and then take a profits with it. Uh, yeah, well, I'd, I'd say something cutesy, like, well, I I just like Bonsai better for if I want to lose one honor and get plus four. But that's because that's an exceptionally good card, so I don't know if you have to be as good yes. as that, too. And and both of them are, are flexible in their, their own ways. Obviously, Bonsai has to be. It's all in the same conflict and on the same character and and, and only in military. But Shiatome, I, I guess I guess the one I, I want to really like Shiatome, although it does like it is a to me at least, it is a real downside to have the whole you have to win a conflict before you can use this card. I like to have cards in my decks that help me win when I'm not doing well. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, if you have that out, it's now much easier to overcommit to that first military conflict, knowing that if you succeed, you'll be able to get that guy back up again. Presumably, yeah. Who who is my most awesome character that I want to be able to defend or attack again? You. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, so Dragon, Dragon have two previewed so far from these four packs. You mentioned Hurricane Punch. I mean, you you do have to be playing the monk thing, but it's free and it gives me a boost and I draw a card. That's amazing. So I love that. 
I mean, I have to be playing a specific kind of character in that, but I get an effect and draw a card and it doesn't cost me anything. I am never going to turn that down if I've got like someone who actually meets the targeting requirement. I don't know at what point there's going to be enough monks to play the monk stuff, but uh, or enough good monks too. But man, I, I really like that one. I'm I'm less enthused about the Master Alchemist. So the Master Alchemist is a 3-1 for 4. And this that's from the... Sorry. And then uh, Hurricane Punch is an air guard, so it's from the air pack. And Master Alchemist is from the fire pack, which is the fires within. And do you, do you like it when they name, uh, name things after old L5R cards? I always get little kicks out of that. I do, yes. You know, or the spells from Nostalgia. the RPG. Yeah. But Master Alchemist is 3-1 is for 4. So that's atrocious stats for a 4-cost character. So it needs to have a really good ability. And it does. During a conflict, spend 1 fate to the Fire Ring. So the Fire Ring, which might be unclaimed, or might be contested, or might be in someone's claimed pool already, you choose a character, honor or dishonor that character. So the most straightforward use of this is that this is sort of a 5-cost character who is a 5-3. No. Well, I mean, there, there's some flexibility in that dishonor ability as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or, yeah. Like that's that's the most straightforward. Yeah. You might a clan champion to honor. Your opponent might have a clan champion to dishonor. And the master alchemist doesn't have to be in the conflict. <laughs> there just has to be a conflict going on. I mean, I think I my guess is that the reason why it has to be during a conflict is so you can't spend it to the fire ring. And then immediately attack on the fire ring. Right. And get your thing back. But if you're defending, you're going to do that anyways. <laughs> yes. So I don't, I don't know that the guy's bad, but it's hard for me to get too, too pumped about that one. But I am pumped up about the hurricane punch. I think the Master Alchemist will be if Dragon finds themselves with an honor or dishonor deck where they really care about being honorable or handing out dishonor. He will be amazing, but otherwise, they just don't have the glory to care for the most part. But it also depends on how much uh, fate on rings manipulation you have going on, I'm I'm guessing. Also true. I mean, Shigenji is not even something you even care about for the most part, right? Like it lets you play Cloud the Mind? Right. I mean, that's, I don't think it otherwise matters so much. So I think there's about five or so phoenix cards in these first four packs that we've seen so far starting with the you can't actually play with it winds of change yeah so mike you're the only person who can play with winds of change right now i guess this is the i'm playing an honor or dishonor deck card and i want to be able to claim air again yeah just hammer the air ring yeah although i mean honestly i'd rather this be the fire ring but you know well, well yeah. <laughs> perhaps someday but yes although you know i say that we've got probably have plenty of effects to honor or dishonor just being able to say oh hey i'm going to go do that well well but i will say that the kind of anti-synergistic thing that you have to worry about there is so say i'm claiming the air ring and then you know you do like whatever you're doing and then i play this so that i can claim the air ring again that's actually going to hurt my claim on the uh, Imperial Favor. Yes. 
And if you have other cutesy things that rely on you having a certain ring claimed, whoopsie. The flip side of that is that if your opponent is, like, your opponent's going to know that you want the air ring, and they're going to want the air ring too, for the same reason. Right? They're going to want to... Yeah, if you steal it away from your opponent, that's really good. And at one cost, it's a very, very splashable card. Yeah, your opponent's going to want to take it, you can take it from them, and then... That's the opposite scenario, right? Now my claim on the Imperial Favor is a lot better, because I took one from you and gave it to myself. Or even just well, taking it away from them. Right. That's the only one we've seen so far for the Phoenix from the Air Pack, but we've from the Earth slash Shadowlands Pack. We've also seen Teaching of the Elements. This would be a new Earth province. Basically, mm -hmm. start at five province strength, possibly as high as eight under normal circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call this is going to be the next card that gets banned in multiplayer. Well, don't forget in multiplayer, any card that, that looks for claimed or unclaimed rings only looks at yours. Does it? Still, it's if I've got you know three sitting there, it's the whole time, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that there is a little bit of room for it to do more because of the cards that sit on your provinces as as like the I'm getting an Enlightenment victory. Yeah. Depending on what Earth provinces are, this might be in multiplayer the Phoenix preferred Earth province, and you just stack your rings there, and basically every time you claim a ring, it's plus one province strength. So you actually have three in the Earth. It's kind of weird. Am I... So the Ningyo is in the Earth pack? That's kind of weird. Um, that is weird. Now that I'm looking at the card number on him. Yes. So the Ningyo is in the Earth pack, which is Tainted Lands. He even says during a... What are... That's, that is just odd that he's in there. I guess they just had to put them somewhere. So yeah, during a water conflict, put this character into play from your hand in the conflict. At the end of the conflict, shuffle it into your conflict deck. So during a water conflict, get a free 3-2. Yeah, seems legit to me. Yeah, that seems pretty handy. I mean, you can't use it to create open attacks, but you can use it to to create defenders out of nowhere, or, or just right. as like, okay, here's a here's a boost of strength when I don't. And it's, I mean, you could also just play. You also just have the option of playing him normally. That's not really exciting. No, I, I don't know that you would ever do that. It's entirely for that. Hey, free three two. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you end up in some situation where you have excess fate, you might just like, okay, well, I'll play him as just a normal guy. I really, I'm attacking on Void, and I really just need two more to take this province. Here you go. Yeah. So Oracle of Stone, this is a card that I think has quite a bit of potential. Yeah, any card cycle is good, uh, especially for combo decks. It, yeah, I mean, it is it is card disadvantage, right? Because each of you is drawing, each player is drawing and discarding two cards. But, right, you may be discarding cards that you have the ability to play again later. So, you, I mean, you're, you're losing a use of them. But, you know, it's still around. If you ever get Tadaka out, anything that's in your opponent's discard <laughs> bio can come back to haunt them. But, but, yeah, you just, like, you play this in a deck that has, if nothing else, you play this in a deck that has specific things that it wants to get you, and this lets you get to them and pull your combo thing. And that is going to be worth it sometime. It's also 
splashable. Like it's a spell, but it doesn't need a Shugenja. It's got a reasonable influence cost. So I think there is a good chance that this becomes a, a very strong tournament card at some point for, for some decks. Agreed. I, I feel like the strongest this is going to be is in a cancel deck because you're looking for more cancels, right? Because whatever they've got, you know, they're going to pick their strongest cards, but you've drawn into your cancels, which you may not have had before. Also, obviously, with the Phoenix Stronghold, this kind of reminds me of Faithless Looting because that's been going around in the Magic Cube, the uh, Legacy Cube that's going on. Like, out of your hand, it's card disadvantage, but not, you know, out of your discard pile, it's, you know, it's just free cycle. Oh, yeah. That's right, cause it, yeah, because it itself is a spell you can play it again. Not bad, not bad. So Crab, we've seen as much of Crab as we have of Unicorn. Half of that is, appropriately enough, in the Earth pack, including Kuniyori <laughs> and the first Maho spell. And if new 5R Kuniyori is anything like old 5R Kuniyori, it's appropriate that he's in the pack with a Maho spell. <laughs> yeah, because the Kuni are totally against Maho and hunt that stuff down. Totally <laughs> makes sense. Yes. Kuni Yori, pure and upstanding citizen of the Empire in, in all versions well, yeah. of Rogugan. Exactly. He greets people with Jade Strike, as a proper Kuni does. <laughs> so you have two Earth Shugenja for the crab in Tainted Lands. You have you have Kuni Yori, four four for five. You are like man, uh, all of your guys are just rocks in Earth conflicts with plus one. He's yeah. in, regardless of whether or not he's in the Earth conflict, plus one military, plus one political for all of your characters in any Earth conflict. Weirdly, I'm not sure what I think about his action. Like, so his action is during a conflict, lose an honor, and then your opponent discards a card at random. And on the one hand, like, oh, lose an honor, who cares? My opponent discards a card at random. That's a great effect. On the other hand, cards and honor are pseudo-interchangeable sometimes? No, they definitely are. So I think he's loved by the Crab Dishonor deck, where it's, okay, I am, especially with his getting the earth even better, I am just hammering your hand left, right, and center, and then because I'm hammering your honor too, you have to keep bidding one, or I'm bottoming you out. Yeah, so you one card no is all cards. you get a turn. Yeah, you have no cards. Yeah, you get one card a turn, and Yori's going to kill it. So good luck playing anything ever. <laughs> play, it, play it before Yori, before the conflict starts. <laughs> I've yeah. got nothing, but on the other hand, yeah, if, you're, if your hand is literally empty, you are just doomed in yeah. this game so so often. Like, the fact that your opponent can know everything that you can possibly do, yeesh. The other Shugenja is the Apprentice Earthcaller. He's the 3-1 for 1, and he, he chooses, like, you're using him defensively because he works on an attacking character, and it sets an attacking characters if they don't have attachments it sets their skill value to their printed value so it essentially negates it negates honor or dishonor or it negates honor because you're using I guess you could use it on your own oh, dishonored yeah, guy but your guys don't have glory so it lets you negate your opponent's honorable status effectively it lets you blow up things like bonsai you have plus four oh no you don't it's realistically more like your opponent isn't going to play it 
but right he sets it so i'm assuming that also negates any new ones so he can just be in a conflict and be like nope you're not taking this whatever you're at that's what you're at when a value is set to a specific number the set modifier overrides all non-set modifiers including any new non-set modifiers that are added during the duration of the set value okay so that did stick in my brain somehow okay this would not only negate any existing bonuses, but would also prevent them from playing other bonuses unless those bonuses, unless those modifiers also set the value to something. So, or, or just flat out adjusted the printed value. So if there was a way to cheat this guy into battle to move him in and then reset something that feels way more exciting? Yeah, you could charge him in. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> The ability to go after honor, honored stuff broadly speaking, changes it around. The fact that well, it, I mean, it doesn't even have to be an honor, right? It could be a charge that they paid for. A what? It could be a charge that they paid for, like they paid the honor for. Oh, a bonsai, a bonsai that they paid Sorry, the honor for. Yeah, oh yeah. no, yes. Well, except what because this is a dynasty character, right? You're not it. Uh, a drawback of this is that your opponent knows that they have it. And so, not that it's right. nothing to stop your opponent from playing Bonsai in the first place, but... Oh, he doesn't have to be in the province anyways. No, no, he doesn't have to be there, no. But, I mean, I, but he, you, can't, like, you can't, like, play him out as a conflict character and then surprise your opponent that you have this ability. No, I'm just, I'm still... God, it's so hard to get out of the presence. Rule, rule of presence? Yeah. <laughs> and it's location? So hard to get out of, it's so hard to get out of that mindset. Yes, yes. He he does not have to be there. You can attack with him, take a province, and then he's sitting at home and he's helping defend yours from bonsais. Yeah, bonsai. He's more likely to stop them from playing it at all. Again, though, that's not nothing. Well, but but it's not just bonsais, right? Like he would also stop them from throwing on like a height of fashion. You have to choose an attacking character without attachments. Oh, without attachments, derp. If you had a character who did not have an attachment and he was targeted with an Apprentice Earthcaller, if you then put an attachment on that character, that doesn't negate the Apprentice Earthcaller. The Apprentice, unlike, say, an attachment itself, it isn't constantly checking, right, to see if it's valid. Right. So I think that it may actually be if you put the attachment on the character after they were targeted with Apprentice Earthcaller, the Apprentice Earthcaller would prevent them from getting a skill modifier from the attachment. Right. It's more of a preventative thing, right? Like, you're, like yes, you could hit somebody after they get bonsai but they're probably not going to bonsai them, but you would have to hit them before they have the attachment, and that's just, nope, you're gonna, not going to get the attachment. That's basically, I'm defending, you've got, like, one character there that's like a 2-2, I'm just going to go ahead and preemptively hit you and make sure you can't take this province. There is even some space in there. You could, If you know that you're not going to be boosting a guy's strength and you'd be telegraphing this, you could use that on your own character without attachments. Like, yep. my character is a 7. I'm going to Apprentice Earthcaller him, and now you can't use anything to reduce them. Or if your opponent uses things that, like, the this, again, Dishonor, probably not that big a deal, but if your opponent plays cards that otherwise reduce their skill in some way, you would be able to negate it. This stops the Scorpion Clan champion. 
<laughs> yes, it would do that too. That seems really relevant for Crab. There's a lot of different ways you can go with that guy, but now, now what he can't, I guess he can, and he can preemptively stop spreading the darkness, but cannot stop it after the fact. But spreading the darkness, like if you wanted to get people to play with a Maho spell, this seems like a pretty good way to do it. This is like right? super bonsai. Yeah. You lose an extra honor, you get the same plus four military, but now, you're, now your character cannot be targeted by opponent's card abilities. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see some corrupt phoenix digging the crab. Because getting right that down these six old times in, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Spreading the darkness just seems really strong. And there will be some number of people who don't want to play it because it's Maho. There will be some number oh, yes. of people who want to play it because it's Maho. Well, also, uh, losing two honor is, like, having to lose two honor six times is, that's a lot of honor. That's true. That is one that very much will be interesting to see what Fantasy Flight does as far as the cards, your deck building, affecting the game like AG used to do. Well, they, they definitely have hinted that it's going to affect it in some way differently in the future, right? Like, they dropped that hint with this pack preview. If you win the tournament with these these things in your deck, and you do have, and there's two of them, obviously it's not a... Well, this one is a crab card, right? So the first Maho spell is a crab spell. <laughs> that would be a... Again, that would be another curious thing to do with it, because I one of the things I think that is easily forgotten is that in the original iteration of Clan War, the crab are the, are the like initial villains. They ally with the Shadowlands and attack the Empire. Right? They're yeah. they're corrupt as all get out. Well, and they they kind of set that up in that initial uh, Crab Clan fiction too, right? Because they you get that whole we're getting abandoned, but it felt, I don't know. It felt like even more than it usually. Is. It, yeah, I don't know. So, but we've also got to go along with spreading the darkness. You've got marauding Oni, so a Shadowlands character option for military dash political for two cannot be honored or dishonored, and as a forced reaction, as an unlimited forced reaction, every time you declare them as an attacker or defender, you lose an honor. I feel like spreading the darkness is more potent than the marauding Oni. But... Yes. Uh, well, yeah, just if nothing else, because this guy can get uh, assassinated. Although then at least your opponent lost my opponent lost three to do it. True. But you didn't take a province, too, so... No, 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 you did not. To move along, because I know I'm, I've, we've now gone on longer. So the, the crab within the fires within, they get uh, the scout Haruma Kagoi and the wicked Tetsubo. And then they get Jay's favorite card, maybe? Uh, the Nizumi Infiltrator in the Evan Flow. Who, immune to Shadowlands and Maha artifacts. Yeah. Yeah, he can't spread the darkness. Sorry about that. That kind of feels like you might get kind of choices, right? Like, maybe I'm playing a corrupt crab, maybe I want to play with an Izumi, and, you know, have a much weaker card effect, but hey, I'm a good person. (laughs) I swear we're using this for the Empire's good. I swear, I swear. Um, Let's see. 
we'll just kind of pop over the rest of the crap. But we do have the first Mantis Clan character coming in the air pack, Kadaka, which yeah, an air. The first Mantis Shugenja is an air Shugenja. Yeah, yeah. Because hmm. air is lightning, right? Air would be like storms, I would imagine, and pushing boats. I guess. I guess I think of them as water. I'd actually, I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head what the element of the the primary element of the Yoritomo Shugenja school is. I'm gonna get dinged on my uh, my uh, <laughs> L5R Master Card. A lot of times, lightning is fire, is but still, it kind of goes either way. My impression of her is that she like in the old in the old five R she'd be a Moshi, although maybe that's not correct. I mean, she's clearly just Mantis Clan now, but I don't think they're doing all the minor clans like they did. Yeah, no Yoritomo's Alliance. Yes, so far there is no Yoritomo's Alliance. There's just Mantis Clan. A three four for four Shugenja, and after you claim the Air Ring, gain a fate and draw a card. Limit twice per round. So yeah. combos with uh, Winds of Change. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think any deck that is trying to just hammer that air ring is going to want her because effectively you can get her for three or even two for a three-four body Shugenja. Yeah, I gain a fade and draw a card as a that is a potent bonus. Yep. Yes. So I think the last one that we we definitely would want to touch on is again in the Earth Pack upholding authority. Which uh, should we just say this is a crab card anyway? But it is a another Earth province, like Teaching of the Elements. We interrupt when this province is broken. The attacking player reveals his or her hand, choose a card in their hand, and discard any number of copies of that card from their hand. You don't have to be an Earth roll to play it, but if you do, if you are an Earth roll, which right now is only crab, it's a five, which is a three and five is a big difference. Yeah, and this effect is like really good on that. It's really, I don't know what I was trying to say. It's there. really good in general. Unless yeah. your opponent has no cards in their hand, that's a good effect. Is that something you want to go for if you don't get it as a five? I think a lot of times Earth does go under Stronghold a lot of times because it just a lot of times it will be the strongest province that you have. And you definitely don't want to put this one under Stronghold. really why not (laughs) well no (laughs) i guess i like that there are a lot of there seem to be a good number of cards that like as we talked about them had a lot of subtlety or options to them you know different ways to use them fewer cards although there were some that were just like you know an obvious raw here's a power punch to the face and not a lot of stuff that just seemed like you know, immediate garbage. Although, right, we're talking about a, a, a small selection of cards from a whole stack of them that we're going to get. And we haven't seen seen a lot so far. But I think we've been we've been running long enough now. So, do you have any other any final thoughts you guys wanted to throw out on the first four packs of the Elemental Cycle? The art continues to be amazing. This is true. I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what my deck's going to look like after this all comes out, but I am definitely seeing some cool things to do. And and I'm just generally excited about them bringing in the Maho and the Shadowlands for the first time. Yes. And the Nazumi, much more important. And the Mantis. I mean, right, so we get Minor Clan cards, we get 
non-human, like a real influx of non-human cards. Mm -hmm. We get Shadowlands stuff. There's definitely a lot of things from the, you know, the world of Legend of the Five Rings that are showing up for the first time here in the Elemental cycle. That is still set to come out six for six, starting in the not-too-distant future, really. And we may even actually have an episode that's not about L5R soon. I, I swear I'm trying to schedule one. <laughs> but you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your Legend of the Five Rings and tabletop gaming podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on our website, www.strangeassembly.com, or on the Apple Podcast app, or in the Google Play Music Store. You can find us at the usual social media spots. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If enough of you like us on Facebook, Facebook will stop telling me that we're close to 500 likes. So please, come on, help a brother out. I do always <laughs> like to hear from you, so uh, you can contact me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Buy Spooky's book. Buy Spooky's book. Buy Spooky's book. Yeah, did you want to close this podcast with the last line of the book as you have in the past? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Was it My Life, My Soul for the Phoenix? Yes! You didn't yeah. notice that? I saw that and I'm like, Jay's I, gonna love that! I remember that at the end, but I would not was not 100% that that was the last line. It is. Okay. It is. It is. Yeah. And then you've got no, the I'm... blank page 123. Yes.